Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to 2019. Rebecca Lynch is unfortunately not with us this week. She is traveling, but we have Robert Craig, our Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to see you. Happy New Year, everyone. Yes, Happy New Year to everyone. Robert, uh, I know uh, I certainly took some time away. I hope people had a chance to get away and prepare for what should be a exciting 2019. Uh, certainly here in Wisconsin, but um, Robert, did you do anything interesting uh, over the break? Uh, anything fun that uh, that uh, helped you uh, recharge the battery? Nothing, you know, that is exceptional. Just hung out with uh, my mother in in Chicago and my nephews and my brothers. That's great. And drunk beer and <laughs> drunk beer. Yes, above average takeout food. Robert's definitely become a Wisconsinite. Beer is central to everything, although mostly uh, the locally sourced microbrews. But uh, I'm glad you were able to take some time. I guess I bought board games for my nephews, which they like, and played a long, long game of Civilization with Delano and Emerson. (laughs) Well, that's great. I mean, look, this we're going to dive right into this. We're going to talk about 2019 looking forward, particularly here in the state, around the state budget. But, um, you know... We just as a, as movement uh, folks often do not take enough time away, and so I'm glad Robert took some time away. I certainly spent a week away, got a chance to uh, spend a lot of time with the family. Actually, met a friend I hadn't seen in over 25 years from high school, so uh, it was a great time uh, to get away. But um, let's let's uh, dive right in, Robert. We want to talk about a number of things today. We're going to look at the state budget. Uh, uh, the governor-elect Tony Evers. He'll have his inauguration next Monday. A whole bunch of events going on, including kid galas uh, all this weekend. We have links to that on our webpage if you want to get any information. And, of course, um, Monday will be all of the inaugural events, including the actual inaugural event. There will be a post-like greeting ceremony where you can uh, go on a line and greet the the new governor and the new uh, lieutenant governor. Uh, And then, of course, uh, a gala in the evening at the Monona Terrace. And all of those uh, events are open uh, to the public, but you do have to uh, get some tickets for uh, for the for the galas. But we want to talk about the state budget this week. Uh, Tony Evers has started uh, a big public push to get out what are going to be some of the key areas in his budget. Um, but Robert, before we dive into some of the details, we will also later in the show. I want to let everybody know we're going to talk more in detail about healthcare and look more specifically on that issue. Um, and we also hope to be able to talk a little bit about the Supreme Court race. If we don't this week, we will next week. So let's start, though, Robert. Evers announced yesterday some interesting news around the lame duck that I want to just get your thoughts on. He basically said that he's going to sort of push forward as if the lame duck didn't really happen uh, on most things. And basically, he expects that he'll be sued um, and that's how this is going to go forward. Uh, this is very interesting news. The, and he packaged this with talking more about his budget, including saying he's going to be very open to working with the other side. But on the other hand, if they don't move on some basic things, he's willing to veto the entire budget. So sort of laying out some some clear markers for both working together, but also like, you know, it ain't going to be the same deal as we had the last eight years. So... We don't know exactly what's going to go on with the lame duck legislation. I don't think he's going to go uh, Governor Evers and heedlessly just violate every every piece of the statute willy-nilly, but I think they will carefully consider what he could do that 
could sustain challenge and then do some of it, and not, then he doesn't have to sue them. They have to sue him. Robert, uh, you, Robin Voss said that. He basically said he really hopes that the, that the governor will, will follow the law, that Governor Evers will follow the law. Well, I love that. Will it's they? It's comical. If judges struck down the lame duck, would they follow the law? <laughs> they don't follow it. any precedent or tradition or any kind of decorum on the one hand, say, you know, saying you want to work with the new governor. On the other hand, trying to take away as many of his powers as possible before he even takes office and showing a complete hypocrisy over your view of government. In other words, governors should be more powerful when there are governor and they should be less powerful when they're someone else's governor and elections have no consequence. WEDEC should continue, uh, even though it is unpopular and, and the election rebuked it, quite frankly. Uh, and who knows, as I pointed out, this is where the real lawsuits may start flying. That is, is WEDEC planning with their nine months of, you know, get out of jail free card with uh, their CEO to negotiate a new Foxconn deal since it's apparent that Foxconn is violating the original contract? Well, it's going to be interesting to sort of see how all this goes forward in terms of how Evers plays this out. But look, the right, the Koch brothers funded group, it's Eisenberg, I believe is his name. Yes, Rick Eisenberg. Rick and Will already basically said, oh, I'd be happy to sue. He said if... if, if <laughs> If I had a client, no. <laughs> yeah. So apparently, pay me, apparently yeah. they this a wonderful nonprofit would get paid with taxpayer money under the lame duck statutes. Remember, they get to hire their own lawyers. Uh, so there you go. I mean, can you imagine the outcry uh, if Democratic elected officials were paying Citizen Action of Wisconsin or any of the other progressive groups in the state? But there you go. So let's let's turn to to the actual budget discussion. So um, clearly. Uh, as of Wednesday, uh, Evers made a, a big public push to start getting out and getting word out on his priorities. Want to get your thoughts on him? I mean, there's nothing shocking here, but broadly, he's clearly laid out this idea that he's willing if the Republicans don't move on some core things, health care, Medicaid expansion included, uh, education. I believe he's looking for about a $1.4 billion increase on education. Um, and I, you know, those are some core things. There, oh, there's some definitely some stuff around um, a driver's license uh, for for immigrants and um, uh, a access to uh, uh, to college um, that he sort of laid out as things that he really wants to see the Republicans move on. Your thoughts on this um, in 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 terms of uh, Evers sort of it's 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 both. I want to work with you, but also, you know, like there's going to be some clear boundaries here. So the health care isn't news, obviously, that we knew Medicaid expansion. We'd like to see more, but it's a great first step. Uh, on education, we knew that he, Governor Evers, uh, Governor-elect Evers, is uh, very committed to education. It's his sole career. And so, therefore, he, and it's not a surprise that he ran on this. Uh, there is an interest. There's an interesting little uh, rub there that he wants to make it clearer to the public how much voucher schools are costing, and says that we need to think about whether we can afford two competing school systems. So that is a shot across the bow for sure, and will be opposed rigorously by the legislatures because of the right wing funders behind the whole voucher. Will experiment be the nice word? I would call it conspiracy. No, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's a really important thing that Tony's trying to do here. To like, it, it's sort of bringing sunshine to the realities, these fiscal realities of what the voucher schools actually cost a lot of these districts, and it's just it's something that's very opaque to a lot of folks. Uh, 
transportation is going to be a big flashpoint, obviously. They're already, Senator Majority Leader Fitzgerald is already signaling that he should not, he should pull back the nomination of Craig Thompson. And Craig Thompson is a very bipartisan yeah. lobbyist. He's probably a, a Democrat, but a very moderate one, and he works very well with both sides. He's a very effective lobbyist. He's not highly ideological. In fact, in when, I, when I saw that, I was like, yeah. wow. You know, I mean, this guy is not anything anyone in the progressive movement would be like, oh, yeah, he's a progressive activist. No, he's someone who, if anything, I would describe as much more centrist of, uh, of some of the appointees so far. He wants to build roads. Yeah. He's not about putting it all into mass transit, <laughs> which we actually need to do exactly. uh, for the planet uh, and, and the species. But it's interesting. It's almost like, first, they want to pick a fight over it. But second, maybe they're concerned that he is very effective and he might be able to garner the votes of members of their caucus, right? But nonetheless, that is interesting I think the boldest thing, which is not something Evers didn't say in the campaign, but you never know what will be prominent, is the moving towards cutting the prison population in half. Uh, That's huge. That would be a fundamental structural reform. Uh, He's also interested in finding common ground on that. And, you know, there's all sorts of right-wing stuff out there. You know, the Koch brothers actually support prison reform, but it never actually seems to happen, right, with Republican lawmakers. Well, the Koch brothers were behind a lot of the stuff that just passed federally. If folks weren't aware of that, they were big supporters of that, and it's probably why Trump supported it, a lot of pressure from them. So that's a huge deal, and big shout-out to Wisdom and all the Wisdom affiliates around the state who effectively, Expo being part of Wisdom, uh, uh, the the ex-prisoners organizing project, which have... Uh, made this a big issue and are the ones who put the questions to candidates and got the Evers commitment. I think Tony Evers has commitment beyond that, but obviously it helped that you had an organized group of, of, of ex-prisoners and faith-based folks from around the state pushing for it and making it a moral issue. Yeah, we've talked about this uh, on a number of recent podcasts, both uh, it was one of the issues I flagged for where I think in 2019 we could have major progress because there is bipartisan push. But also, as you just mentioned, Robert, Evers has really staked out. This might be one of his most progressive or you know big changes that he's really proposing. I guess you could say it's radical because of Walker to propose you know an increase in education, but there's nothing radical about that. But his what he's looking to do on uh, criminal justice reform and prison populations is very important. I also want to flag for our listeners, if you didn't get a chance to hear uh, just a couple shows ago, we had uh, Representative Goyke on talking about this issue, too, and some other possibilities beyond just things that are moving in the budget around uh, criminal justice reform. Uh, so this is an area where uh, we could have real progress. We are going to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. We're going to talk more about the budget. We're going to talk a little more depth about the timeline, you know, the different minutiae for how the budget could go. But we're also going to talk a lot more in depth on healthcare in particular, both the expansion of Medicaid, but also other things that are happening, including uh, some new legislation around pre-existing conditions that came out this week. You are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome to 2019. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. It's 2019, and we are super excited about the opportunities that are ahead, uh, particularly here in the state as it relates to our new governor-elect, Tony Evers, and we're spending some time talking about the state budget. Uh, We talked very broadly about it in the first segment, um, and want to talk, Robert, more specifically, since you are the healthcare expert, 
around particularly the Medicaid expansion as it relates to the budget. But then also before we dive into that, let's talk a little bit about the timeline, um, how a normal budget process works, um, when are the best opportunities for people to engage, um, what are what are some of the processes, and then and then like let's game out what our possibilities for how our state budget process works, and feel free to point out how where it's different at the federal level. Um, so let's start with the, just sort of the timeline. Well, let me briefly before that mention revenue was a huge issue. The other big announcements in this is is that uh, he wants to have a ten percent tax cut for for moderate and middle income people. Um, and he's going to fund that by capping the manufacturer yep. and agricultural tax credit uh, at $300,000. The canard behind that, which made all manufacturing tax-free, even if you produce no jobs, even if you outsource jobs with no strings attached, they always claim it's helping farmers and small business people. Well, 300000 would seem like a pretty good number as far as what you'd owe in taxes, and be, you'd probably make it much lower than that and, and, and spare any legitimate family business, unless you think right-wing billionaires like Diane Hendricks own family businesses. It, it's also worth pointing out he's going to probably, he's going to push for greater flexibility for municipalities to be able to raise resources in, in, in school districts, possibly, it, it, is, is another p- potential. So And sales taxes. Yep. So this is not great. Um, obviously, it's way better than the previous administration. Uh, but quite frankly, the income tax is the most progressive tax. So rather not see a sales tax increase, which trades off against a, a an income tax decrease that's actually regressive. Property taxes, less regressive than sales tax, but because it's all people who own property, but still an issue, particularly for fixed income seniors. I also will have to see what budget comes out. I doubt we have the money for tax cuts. I know the governor-elect ran on it, and, therefore, and this is sort of the moderate Democrat positioning. We're going to offer our tax bribe back, but the polling is very clear that people will support uh, having the revenue and the taxes as long as it's going to clear investments they believe will strengthen their communities. And so uh, given the $2 billion gap Walker left, we'll see how this works. The two big revenue things he has right now, I think he needs more on the manufacturing agriculture tax credit cap and then Medicaid expansion will bring in about $280 million in extra money over a biennium. Uh, but we'll have to see what else? I think he's going to need to come forward with dealing with the capital gains tax, where we t- we ca- we tax uh, investment income at a lower rate than work, right? Which is outrageous, just for example, and look at other revenue in order to make this work to make these new investments. He's going to try to commit uh, get back to the two thirds commitment for education, yep. which is absolutely essential, and so that uh, so that's all going to cost money. So we'll see how this washes out at the end of the day. And I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe the, the governor-elect and his team have some other cost-saving measures that, that we haven't looked into or haven't occurred to us, I, I mean, that are good, that are actually things that would that would create more, more revenue for investment in vital public services, education, health care, transportation. We'll see about the transportation budget. It's kind of sounding like a road-building budget, which is not really what the state needs. So let's get to this timeline discussion, just because, you know, it's been two years since we've gone through a budget, and the last couple cycles, it's, you know, it's been completely Republican. So we are likely to have a much more conflictual situation. The Republicans have already said they're going to basically take Evers' budget and put it aside and uh, start working with uh, what they currently have or work off the current budget. Um, 
so timeline. Let's just talk about that. Let's talk about how this plays out, and, and let's remind our listeners the one big difference that makes all of this timeline a little squishy is we do not have to have a state budget by a certain time or the money runs out like the federal government experiences. Uh, we would just continue to work with the existing budget. But let's Most talk timeline. states are that way, too, uh, where they would literally be closing down their government or cutting things dramatically like Illinois did during gov- the, go- the Governor Rauner reign of terror south Which of the border. Which is important to understand in terms of like how this could draw out and it's the time line is is hard to predict because they don't quote have that deadline that um you know obviously starts to impact public opinion right so we're in the informal stage of the budget process already which is basically governor's leak uh right. strategically and in his case went on a spe- on a listening tour uh to receive uh feedback uh, not so much listening from the previous governor as we know uh, just telling as, as deci- right wing decider and so well, we know who they were listening to. Yes, uh, there were. We know what kind of phone calls they were getting. Only one of the fa- <laughs> only the fake one is known. And so uh, you'll you'll get more released in the state of the state address in uh, late uh, January, and the legislature will be present, so that'll be a big press crush of press coverage. He will then initiate the budget process. So it starts with the governor with the uh, budget address, which is often in February, but I would say is late February. I would guess even early March, given how much work this administration has to do uh, to to put together this challenging budget and to get everyone in place that's going to be putting together the budget. And that's where uh, there'll be a big presentation to the legislature, more back and forth, more Voss and Fitzgerald posturing and saying no way, no how on this, that, or the other. And then the budget is sent over to the Joint Finance Committee, so in March, which will have a hearing in Madison, will have hearings around the state, they'll pick, they'll pick, pick four locations, many of them remote and as hard to get to as possible, uh, within, within the Senate districts of Republicans. And since they uh, represent the land, apparently, in Wisconsin and nationally, plenty of corners of the state to, to park the hearing. And then they will go through an amendment process where they will probably ditch Evers's budget altogether and present their own budget. And the just so you know, based on long tradition, despite the, the popular vote, uh, the minority party gets four, uh, will get four total seats, and the Republicans will get 12, so even more than the margins in the legislature. And so this will be a right-wing budget. And it is worth pointing out that the joint finance process that Robert talked about is probably the best place, is really the only serious place where there's public input and at these public hearings that he talked about. It's, it is, um, you know, it, it's not the greatest process and it's something that unfortunately, it, you know, you can show up and literally sit through 90 minutes of like pre-setup testimony from local electeds before you even get to the public but it is your opportunity and your best uh, the best point for for you to go actually publicly testify or submit testimony around the budget yes virtually every local official in the area gets to do what politicians do when given an open microphone yeah they, any th- level of government th- thank them for coming to town <laughs> thank you thank you That's it's wonderful you and make here. sure you go to jimmy's sports bar <laughs> and so anyways yes. my brother-in-law owns so <laughs> You'll have that. Now, by tradition, they take testimony on and on and on. They don't really look interested. They disappear from the microphone. They're clearly not fully listening. But if they hear an issue over and over and over again, uh, and there are some like senior and disability groups are great at this, 
it begins to sink into their deep skull that there are a lot of people over the state who care about the issue. Yeah, that's really critical because we're going to talk more about Medicaid, right, and expanding Badger Care. It's going to be a central uh, organizing program that we're going to be doing here at Citizen Action around the state budget. And so, yeah, that is absolutely the time when we want people to come out and talk about why it's important to expand Badger Care, why we need to accept the federal Medicaid money. Quite frankly, it's important to actually start talking to them about why we actually need Badger Care for all, Badger Care public option, something big and visionary and moving away from this completely privatized, you know, we need a more public uh, system. So this is the opportunity where you can really start to weigh in and have some of those critical senators hear over and over that this is a huge issue they, uh, uh, that they can't escape. So in the process, the Joint Finance Committee hearings, delivery of their budget gets us into May, most likely, maybe well into May. But we don't know. They could delay it because will the two houses be fighting? Will Fitzgerald and Voss be on the same page? Since they already don't seem to be on the same page, since Fitzgerald already hinted that uh, taking the Medicaid money is not off the table, where Voss is saying, no way, no how, right? And so they're going to have to have agreement to move a budget. Uh, and then now in the traditional process, what would happen then is that the budget in May and early June would go to the floors, would get some amendments, very limited amendment rules, uh, and then it would be delivered to the governor once you had a budget that both Assembly and Senate could agree to and passed. In this case, I don't think that will happen, and there'll be another unofficial stage in the process, and here's why. In Wisconsin, uh, the governor has the, the strongest veto in, in the country, so he can change numbers. He can uh, cross out words. It's called a Frankenstein veto. There used to be a Vanna White veto. This is not as strong as that, but it's exceedingly strong. It's, a, and the US, it's in the Constitution. They couldn't change it in the lame duck, or they would have, uh, and then change it back when there's a Republican governor, right, before they left power. And so uh, you wouldn't, in your right mind, send this Republican budget to Evers because he could totally rewrite it. And therefore, you don't send it to him if you have any sense unless you have a deal with Evers, which means what happens is a budget impasse where they can't agree, and it sits in limbo for a while. Well, we are going to have a little impasse here. we got to take a break. We're going to come back and hear a little bit more about this process and dive a little deeper into health care. Uh, when we get back, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about the state budget process. Uh, it's going to be unique for the first time in a decade. It's going to be a little different. Um, and so Robert is talking us through both the timeline, how this works, how it's a little different from the federal level, but also... Um, what might be happening. And when we took a break, we had gotten into the summer, Robert, and we had, you had just laid out the powers that Evers has. He's got one of the strongest veto powers possible. So this is going to change the dynamic now that we have divided uh, legislature and executive government. So pick it up. Well, so I've just been pointing out that it seems to me and maybe maybe the, the great statesmen Voss and Fitzgerald are far wiser than I, but it seems to me that they wouldn't send him uh, their budget that they completely redo in the Joint Finance Committee in both houses uh, because Tony Evers could rewrite the thing with the Frankenstein veto, and therefore they would negotiate with the governor and try to get no veto pledges on the major pieces, correct? And Tony Evers already said this week that he would consider veto doing major vetoes or even vetoing their entire budget, indicating that he understands that this is his major power in the process. Right. To introduce the budget, 
And then the other power he has in the process, quite frankly, is the bully pulpit, right, and public opinion during the process. But if you think about it, think about Medicaid expansion, which is going to be the major flashpoint. Media is already reporting that it's going to be the major flashpoint. The rest of the budget falls apart, Evers's budget, if you don't have that money. So they have to come back with draconian cuts or something else, right, in order to even to make up an austerity budget work. And then they're the ones who are slashing education, just for example, or slashing transportation. So it's, there's an interesting posturing as to what kind of budget can they create that's going to be a good contrast to Evers's budget that can withstand public pressure of an impasse, that they can get some kind of deal out of. And will they be united? Will, Vaugh, will Fitzgerald be saying, I'll take the Medicaid money, and Voss saying, I won't? Just for example. So I want to I want to dive into Medicaid in a minute, but before we do that, I want to I think I threw this out on the last show. I want to get your thoughts on it. This seems like a process ready made for them just never to come to a deal and to have Voss and company sit out and never really bring a budget to Evers. Is that possible? And then we just sit and run with the existing current budget. In- in perpetuity, and in, in there's essentially a deadlock. And could this run all the way into 2020? Or do they, at some point, have to come to some kind of an agreement? The folks who do this for a living in Madison, that is people who are really experienced legislative hands, and I've talked to some of the best, they all kind of assume as a default that there will be a budget deal, because there always has been. But when I've pressed on this, they can't really offer a reason why the Republicans wouldn't just uh, essentially allow Scott Walker's last budget to go in perpetuity, which is going to be cut because of inflation, even beneath. So it's an austerity budget. And the only reason would have to be public opinion, that basically you're turning down health care for 80,000 people. You are cutting education dramatically, and you can imagine the wh- how many cut school districts are making around the state visibly. In fact, they probably start to make them that fall, right, because they have to start projecting, they have to start spending money that fall, so they start doing their calculations based on the last budget, right? And so it becomes rather like what happened in Illinois, where there was no budget, but it was even more severe its impact, where Rauner it was the other way around with a right-wing Republican governor and a Democratic legislature, a very machinist legislature compared to our Democrats, uh, where Rauner thought it was in his interest just to ride it out and make these massive cuts. And obviously it was not politically for him, but there was no real comeuppance until his four-year term was over. But in this case, it would be the end of a two-year term. And the question is, you know, the, the blue surge in Wisconsin, you studied the numbers closer than I did, Matt, but I think was around 7%. And it seems like you would need 10, 11% in order to overcome some of these gerrymandered districts. So could there be a surge even bigger uh, that actually sweeps folks out of gerrymandered districts if they take a very unpopular stand? And that assumes it is unpopular, which has everything to do with how Evers plays it and how civil society plays it. And I know they want to call a special interest. We're really small D democratic groups trying to mobilize citizens to take part in their democracy, which is not the same thing as the Koch brothers. And so will people get involved and make it unpopular by their action? Well, so, yeah, I just feel like what we experienced both the last eight years, but specifically with the lame duck, tells me they're hunkering down. And it's just hard for me, given the power of the veto. I think Fitzgerald in the Senate has... Real interest in dealing, and I think is open to dealing. I don't, that assembly in Voss, they have very little outside of education. 
on some of these things with their base and their gerrymandered districts. Um, I, I just it, it's something that like I see as a possibility and I would not have, you know, decades ago. I agree with you. You this. just said the magic words, actually. Uh, Fitzgerald is a three vote majority. Right. Right. He can only use three votes. He has a couple what pass for moderates in this day and age. Rob Coles, um, Luther Olson, uh, Petrowski now would pass as a moderate, even though not in previous eras with a very right wing purified party. Um, and then you have another group of five or six we've identified in thinking about this that might be moved because of their districts, because they're in districts where they could actually lose, right? And uh, so, and not all this cycle. Some of them are not up to the next cycle, but if you do something highly unpopular, it certainly worries you if you're in a kind of a swingy district. Uh, I, I, I would meet, and, you know, I would, there's a whole number of those folks. So the question is this, right? Voss is, thinks he's the inside candidate for governor. And he thinks taking the hard right stand always wins. In Republican politics the last 30 years, it always has won. But you can see that they're willing to divide. Look what happened at the ACA fight in Washington, where the Freedom Caucus would not play ball and made Paul Ryan's life miserable. So the assembly, you could say, is dominated by the Freedom Caucus. And if you go meet with Voss, which we've done, uh, he'll tell you that, his co that most of the members of his caucus are way to the right of him and that he couldn't do this even if he wanted to. Well, and that may be true, but, like, I mean, in just we haven't talked about what's going on at the federal level, but, I mean, the insanity that we've shut down our government over the wall, right, like, just shows you right. that, like, we're in some really strange times. And, and by the way, there's after you go through lame duck, which seemed highly undemocratic the notion that they would just say that we can't come to an agreement on a budget they're not i mean and it doesn't seem a stretch to me and and for them to say for look yeah and, and for voss to be like look i'm sorry but we just passed a budget like we're operating on it the sky's not fall, right like try to make this argument and 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 w make it seem normal because they've done their goal is to make this really weird undemocratic push of theirs seem normal. Now, and the, so that's the question. Can they make this seem okay? They seem to have been stunned by how unpopular the lame duck was. A lot of press to that effect. So they're not quite ready for prime time. They're not like the Walker machine. They, they think they're better than they are. They kind of flew under uh, Walker's coattails on stuff a lot. They didn't think so. Voss thought he was the big mastermind of everything. Turns out the lame duck wasn't so masterful publicly. So does that get them to up their game, or does it shame them in some way? Is it possible, this is a real test of their solidarity, that Fitzgerald would need to negotiate his own deal with Evers and that the Republicans would be divided and the Assembly would be left out there and Voss would be left out there? I don't tend to think that's going to happen. That's what I tend to think leads to gridlock. But th well, look, we're, theoretically, we're... Evers could negotiate a deal with three Republican senators. Yeah, and 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 win and win a the, Senate vote. The biggest issue I have is this idea, this theory that like they're all going to cut a grand bargain. Like, if I'm those Republicans, like pff, with that line item veto, if you don't have everything locked down, right? Like, it's completely they have no control over it, and then they have to override a v these vetoes, which is and very I, difficult, virtually impossible for them. They're going to do. try to create a series of poison pills that make it look like they are finding common ground with Evers, but they're really not. And so the one I'm most aware of is, obviously, we're thinking a lot about Medicaid expansion. We're going to run a major, major campaign around it uh, with our friends and allies. Uh, is what they might do on Medicaid expansion is, and this was already hinted in the lame duck, 
uh, that we will accept Medicaid expansion if we have a work requirement. And just so folks know, the work requirement that's in the waiver from the Trump administration is not a strong one. It's not an Arkansas-style one, which is way worse. I won't get into the technical details otherwise, other than to say you could do it so much worse that it would actually reduce the number of people covered even if you took the Medicaid money. So it would be the worst-case scenario. You get the money fiscally to help the rest of the budget, but you actually drive more people off health care. So they will offer that as the bargain, and Tony Evers has to say no, but then they will try to say, we're just trying to hold people responsible and make sure that people who can work, who are, as Walker like to say, able-bodied, which suggests somehow there's ditch digging out there to do, right, uh, are not working and are sitting on the sidelines. We just need to give them the incentive that they'll lose their badger care if they don't go and dig those ditches. So we're going to, again, but what, what this gets back to, Robert, is this is a public pressure campaign, this budget process. And again, it's why we need your, you to get involved in this. We're going to, when we get back from the break, we're going to talk just a little bit about Medicaid specifically, but then we also want to talk about a pre-existing condition bill that's being circulated by the Republicans. And we want to make sure that uh, we get word out about why this is not a good idea and why every Democrat needs to oppose this. Um, when we get back here at the Battleground Wisconsin, we are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. We are talking about the state budget process. We've talked about it in quite detail, both the timeline, a number of key issues, um, and Robert, Medicaid expansion. We've said it's going to be a big issue. We want folks to be prepared to get involved in this. If you are interested uh, in helping us around this Medicaid fight, because it is going to be a big public pressure campaign, it's the only way uh, we can get, hopefully get uh, these folks in the legislature to back down on this, uh, please reach out to our healthcare organizer, Karen Kirsch. We will have her contact info on our website. Uh, and that's basically karen.kirsch at citizenactionwi.org, but we'll have that on the website. So please, if you want to get involved, um, contact her. So, Robert, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about some other things healthcare related uh, looking forward. Um, we should talk about um, uh, the Badger, or excuse me, Badger Care Public Option, because that's something we want to do. But before we get to that, let's talk about something that got circulated this week. It looks like the Republicans are back at it with a new uh, bill to ban pre existing conditions or supposedly ban. We don't think it does what they say. Um, but it's obviously an effort to deal with the public pressure that uh, came out of the election around pre-existing conditions and how they're on the wrong side of this issue. Uh, tell our listeners, and more importantly, any state legislators that are listening to the podcast, why they need to not sign on and continue to oppose this Republican effort. And you mean banning discrimination against people with people. pre-existing conditions. Of course. Conditions. We can never get rid of pre-existing conditions. it would be very popular if we could outlaw health conditions. That would yes, be quite would be a miracle. No further health conditions. <laughs> All right. so, no, yes, but a lot you. of politicians and uh, anchor types are just, because it's too complicated to say discrimination over time, just saying no. protection from pre-existing conditions. Well, that'd be nice. So remember, let's rewind. This was the top issue in the last election, and not just because of the narrow provisions in the Affordable Care Act, bank discrimination, but because throw it, tossing someone off coverage, pricing them out of coverage, carving out their condition, all of these practices by the insurance industry are at the moral heart of the health care issue. 
and, and, and uh, why people are so upset about health care and why it was the top election issue. So see pre-existing condition uh, discrimination as the part that stands for the whole, is representing the whole ugly truth about profit-driven health care. And you'll understand its political significance. Now, it's in the Republicans' interest just to see a narrow technical issue, though they still couldn't bring themselves to do anything even this narrow during the last uh, eight years in Walker's Walker in office or, or even during his duck. governorship or the lame duck, though Walker said he'd adopt the ACA language the Thursday before the election, which generated embarrassing headlines about Walker capitulating on ACA when he was fighting for his political life. That's something like the Journal Sentinel headline. And so now they apparently, well, some of them, uh, Andre Jacques, the new state senator from District 1, who is a Tea Party Alec guy, and uh, Kevin Peterson, a state representative, who's actually a very conservative guy, but actually you can talk to him, I'll give him that, um, is at least a, uh, someone who will give you his opinion in a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a direct way, and you can have a back and forth. But anyway, they have a much stronger pre-existing condition bill that would outright outlaw uh, denying someone coverage or charging them a higher rate based on pre-existing conditions. So it would seem like a good bill if you don't take a step back and realize that you need the rest of the Affordable Care Act. You need a lot of people in insurance spreading the cost across healthy people and people with conditions. And you need subsidies in order to make health care affordable. So in the, what the, these bills are about is what happens if, if right-wing judges throw at the ACA, which a Texas judge already has done, thanks to Walker and Schimmel being part of the lawsuit, but it's still in effect. Uh, if you were to just put into effect those protections, it would actually, without the rest of the ACA I just mentioned, it would actually, and also having essential benefits and having lifetime annual limit caps, all of those things are critical. It all fits together. It's like taking a part of a car and, okay, we're going to have a, a, a car, but we're not going to have wheels. Uh, guess what? It won't work, or et cetera. So it all fits together. What it would actually do is it would actually dramatically raise premiums so much that it would force healthy people out of health insurance, make it unaffordable for people with pre-existing conditions, and crash the whole individual insurance market if you only had the protections. So it's something that's highly political that sounds like they're doing something, but the problem is healthcare is like a Rubik's Cube. You absolutely have to make healthcare affordable for a large number of people for the system to work. And they've been trying to sabotage the Affordable Care Act left and right, but it's still functioning because it's still a system, a broader system where the machine, where the parts fit together. And so it's going to be very hard for Democrats who don't want to be said to have voted against banning pre-existing discrimination. They're going to have to have the guts to try to amend it and put in the other things we would need if the ACA was thrown out by right-wing judges and these legislators are all supportive of throwing out this law because in states before the ACA that had guaranteed issue, that basically insurance became so expensive in the neutral market because mostly people with health conditions bought it because they're the ones motivated and had to do it, that it made it, it made it unaffordable and destroyed the market altogether pretty much in states like New York and the other handful of states that tried to do it without the other parts of reform. So we are going to put out a little blog post um, with some basic just information that summarizes what Robert talked about. We'd like to encourage you to contact uh, your state legislators, tell them to oppose 
particularly if they're Democrats, right, and uh, get the information out. And, you know, if you talk to a state legislator or anyone who's a little confused, uh, have them give us a call. They can reach out to Robert. We'd be happy to give them any information, some basic uh, talking points that they can use to, as to why this is well, wrong. Let me tell you one thing you could do. Yep. If you had a badge or public option, the system would work because people would have somewhere to go. It's That's a lovely simple. transition because badge or public option is the bill that we want to pursue aggressively uh, after the budget and will become a top priority because it's where we need to go. Governor Evers already said that he thinks this is a good idea and he'd like to work that way. We are going to have to create the public pressure campaign to make that happen, similar to what we're going to need to do around uh, Medicaid. So, uh, but check out, uh, we'll have a link to that uh, to that blog post on this pre-existing condition bill. But please, uh, Democrats, we need to oppose this uh, this legislation. So on Badger Care Public yep. Option, just where it, it would, should not be a surprise to podcast listeners, to Battleground Wisconsin listeners, that we are to the left of Governor Evers. But he is someone who we can work with who will listen to us, where we have a shot to persuade him, right? So where he stood... On Badge Care Public Option, which Citizen Action members and others across the state lobbied for and, and made an agenda item, made a big issue in the election, was that he wanted to do it in his first term, but there was not a commitment to do it in his first budget. And so that's great. That's progress. That would never happen with Walker. But now it's incumbent upon us to continue to make the case, right, uh, all of us, in order for that to eventually happen. Uh, but it would be the biggest step the state could m take towards Medicare for all because we, what we need to do is expand the public system step by step. And at the national level, we need to do things like lower the Medicare age to 55, include kids, for example, allow people to buy into Medicare. Those are all expansions of the public system. Ultimately, we need to get to a universal public system if we're going to have health care as a right in this country. But it's going to have to come in stages, and states taking that step, and there are a number of other states trying to do it and looking at it, would be huge. We would love to see Wisconsin as a leader again, setting up models for state and national reform. And Badger Public Option is one of the most exciting things the state could do, and it's wildly popular. So when we're fighting, and, and again, like, Badger care public options, harder to get if we can't win the first fight on Medicaid expansion. It's why we have to get involved immediately. Again, reach out to Karen Kirsch. We'll have uh, her contact info on our web links. Uh, we got to get involved. We got to build this campaign. Public pressure is still a critical piece of this. So, uh, folks, please uh, get involved in this. Hey, before we go, Robert, I do want to briefly uh, point out we have elections uh, this spring. Um, nonpartisan this year. There are no fall elections. Um, but in the spring, there will be one really important statewide election, and that is for the state Supreme Court. Um, we have talked before about the historic uh, uh, former Chief Justice Shirley Abramson has stepped down, and so we have an open seat. It is now official. There'll be uh, two candidates for that, uh, Brian Hegedorn and uh, Lisa Dubauer, and uh, Brian is the appointee of Walker, uh, is a Walker-appointed judge, um, and we had uh, Lisa on the the podcast, oh, just a couple ago. So please, I'll put a link to that on our webpage, but go back and uh, listen to what she's about. This is really, really critical. Winning uh, Judge Dallet was a really important piece, uh, but this seat and winning in April, really, really critical. So we want to flag that for folks. That's We'll talk more about that going down the road, why this is important. I'm sure we'll have 
um, Judge uh, Neubauer on again as we go forward. Uh, but in addition, there will be local elections in your area. Uh, some folks have county boards up. Some people have uh, city councils, school boards, um, and uh, important mayors. So we mentioned Eric Genrich, for example, our member is running for mayor of Green Bay. We had him on last show. Feel free to go listen to that. Uh, but if you are in the Northeast area, uh, Green Bay area, that is a race you're going to want to watch. But with that, we have to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, we want to thank Brian Wildridge, our producer, who makes the, the show happen every week. Uh, we look forward to having Rebecca Lynch back. Uh, but folks, please get involved. It's 2019. We have a real opportunity to make some change here in Wisconsin. won't be easy, but uh, organizing is the only way uh, to make the progress we need. So with that... We'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.